0: Welcome to The Classical Corner, a new podcast brought to you by myself, Davina Clark, where I will delve into the secrets behind classical music and take you on a journey through some of the most inspired and beautiful works ever written. Throughout this series, I shall be joined by a selection of remarkable and talented musicians. Not only will we discuss our love for music, but I shall also discover the thoughts and processes behind my illustrious guests and what makes them the top of their game in the classical music field. So, come and join me in the Classical Corner. British mezzo-soprano, Katie Bray, is known for her magnetic stage presence and gleaming expressive tone. Winner of the Dame Joan Sutherland Audience Prize at Cardiff Singer of the World in 2019, Katie has a flourishing career, playing roles in the world's leading opera companies, such as Opera North, English National Opera and Scottish Opera. She has performed all around the world as a soloist with ensembles such as the English Baroque soloists, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, London Handel Orchestra and the English Concert. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Katie to the Classical Corner today. Hello Katie and thank you so much for joining me. I am really delighted to have you here in the Classical Corner. Thank you for having me. Well, it's an absolute treat. (laughs) So before we get started on some musical discussions, I thought our listeners might like to know a little bit about you and perhaps how you and I know each other and how our paths have crossed.
1: (laughs) Well, I am a mezzo-soprano Um, and I mostly sing opera but a bit of all sorts but you and I met a very long time ago at uh, Manchester University where we were both studying music and I believe we actually created a a vocal quartet called Fortissimo with the number four. We did. Shockingly enough. We did. Um, and (laughs) and, uh, And then we also found ourselves at the Royal Academy of Music together a few years later where you were studying uh, brought violin yes. and and I, I was then um, on the sort of vocal studies course and the opera course so we've sort of um, found our paths crossing quite a lot basically for I don't know 10 10
0: years more than 10 years if it's a long time very very long time <laughs> so you just mentioned the Royal Academy and I have to say for me that place just feels like absolute home i've been a student Mm. there since the age of seven can you believe at the junior academy and then obviously did my master's alongside you when you did vocal studies and then you did the opera course i think as well yeah that's right the tuition there is just completely remarkable i think Mm. especially the mentoring Mm. and the opportunities we we received and Mm -hmm. of course the exceptional teaching how would mm. you say your time at the Royal Academy has shaped you not only as a musician but also as an individual?
1: Mm. Well, I also had an amazing time and I felt like the the tuition was just top notch, mm. particularly from from my sort of the people I spent most of my time with, Ian Leddingham who was my coach and my brilliant singing teacher Elizabeth Ritchie, they were just amazing and I met some of my closest friends there as well, which was also an incredibly special thing and people that I now spend a lot of time with and and speak to a lot um I think it also taught me some really tough lessons about the industry and about how competitive it is some very valuable and very tough lessons and I hope that it it sort of made me understand um how difficult this industry was going to be but also how rewarding it would be if you push yourself Mm -hmm. really hard and just just work and work and work but um but I basically loved it and and I'd recommend it to to anybody but um But it's not easy, that's for sure. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) So you mentioned before that you are an opera singer. Well, that's what you really Mm. specialise in at the moment. And you've sung many operatic roles for extremely Mm. distinguished companies, such as Opera North, English National Opera, Scottish Opera, Garsington and Opera Holland Park. Which Mm. would you say your favourite role has been to play?
1: Hmm. Well, one of my favourite roles... Was Rosina in The Barber of Seville, Mm. and I played her at Opera North. It was my first sort of proper um, leading role, uh, and so it was terrifying, but such an amazing thing to start with. She's such a kind of bubbly, feisty young woman, and the music is amazing, and I've always loved singing Rossini. Um, But actually, my favourite role probably I've ever played was in a much smaller. Setting um, at Grimeborn, which is a really small music festival, um, which happens at the Arcola Theatre in Dalston. Mm-hmm. And we did this amazing production of Massenet's Verter and d- directed by this brilliant Turkish lady called Eileen Bozok. And she, it was very, very intimate, very intense. We just had a piano and it was a small cast and a small audience that were really, really close to us. And that experience was so amazing because it was so intense and and everyone could see every detail and and so actually I think that was probably my favorite project of all which might seem strange but it it felt so real
0: amazing it's it's (laughs) remarkable actually how you can be singing in the most spectacular huge venues which Mm. are obviously special in some way but it's actually Mm. often the really intimate small performances where you've got the chemistry with the audience very Mm. close up which is even more unique and special
1: exactly and you can really f- feel and see people's reactions and you know to for people to be able to see right into your eyes like that just a foot or two away is is totally amazing
0: mm. so for the non singers out there the preparation mm. that goes into learning an operatic role is much like i imagine an actor sort of living and breathing their character preceding a play or a film how do you go about preparing for each role you're playing especially if you've had many operas on at once?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. To be honest, all I do is study, study, and study, and study for hours and hours, and just try to totally um, dive in, you know, to to the music, to the text, and and then to start really thinking about what sort of character I want to play. But but ultimately, the the most important thing is just to get to know the score Mm totally inside out because of course we have to do everything from memory and sometimes that can be very difficult but I actually think it's really positive because it means that you have to know it inside out there's you know you can't you can't sight read your way through anything or or just about know it a little bit you really have to know it as if you wrote it yourself and and so I think that's probably always my 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 main kind of technique is actually just just get to know it as well as you possibly can and also start as early as you can learning the music, learning the text just as importantly, if not more importantly um, and, and really let it sort of live inside you for a long time and then the character ideas start to come naturally because you just know it so well and the music is kind of inside you for so long
0: Yes, I think actually knowing the score is a really, really important part and I suppose that gives you a lot more freedom on stage, just knowing mm. that it's already set in the muscle memory and in the mind, yes. and therefore when you actually are performing you can just let yourself go and be completely That's encompassed exactly right. with the character.
1: That's exactly right, you don't want any moment of thinking, oh gosh, what's the next line? Because then you're immediately out of character, and the, the magic is lost and the story is, is not not existing for that moment. So. Um, it's really important that it's it's just so in there. You hardly even have to think
0: about what the next bit is. Yes, but that must mm. also be difficult if you've got many things going on at the same time. And I'm sure, I mean, I know for me, sometimes there are concerts which you're extremely prepared for, and you feel like I can just I can just excel at this. I can blast it. Mm. And then there mm-hmm. are others, and you're thinking, oh my god, I'm not really sure yeah. I'm quite up to scratch. But then yes. that's where the acting comes in. You think, right, I'm just going to put on a. A face and just perform mm,
1: mm, yeah I think there are inevitably times where you just don't have as much time to prepare for something with opera usually you have a lot um more of a run-up into it you know you you probably get booked for some things more last minute than I do but in the opera world you tend to get booked a long time in advance mm. um, not so much at the moment no. obviously but <laughs> but um usually uh, it's I have a long time to prepare so so as long as you're kind of organized and you start learning mm. it sometimes even up to a year or more in advance um then you're you're not going to find that you you're struggling you know last minute to to cram it all into your brain yes
0: of course and Mm -hmm. are there any roles in the past where you've played that you've had to sort of learn strange dances or do crazy things or intimate character (laughs) traits or anything like that
1: yeah I mean lots but the one that really sticks in my memory is um a character I played in Cavalli's La Calisto, and I was playing a sort of half man, half goat. And so I, <laughs> I had to do some extremely strange things. I was basically sort of on all fours, but but without my knees on the floor. So it was basically a sort of core exercise for about three hours. It was quite astonishing, and I I um, ended up a lot stronger than I, I started off, but also um, very tired. <laughs> But it was amazing, it was an amazing challenge because it is actually possible to sing doing almost anything, and what we often think, oh no, I couldn't possibly do that, I couldn't possibly sing lying down, I couldn't possibly sing upside down or doing a cartwheel or whatever, but you really can do a lot more than you think. You just have to be strong in your body. You need to be fit if you want to really excel as an operatic performer Mm -hmm. because more and more is being demanded of us all the time physically as well as vocally. And I think that's really positive. Um, But you have to... you have to know that it's going to be a full body experience It not just about having a wonderful voice and great technique you've got to be strong you've got to be prepared to put your body through some pretty um interesting and unusual things and and i think that's really exciting and it means that you're not just a voice but you are an entire performer you're a, a singing actor or or a dancer or or an acrobat or you know i think it's wonderful that we are beginning to merge all of these art forms together and and that singers are being pushed to do more than just sing.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> I completely agree. Mm. So you and I toured and performed together last year in Notto in Sicily, which was actually yeah. a semi-stage production of Conti's Issa mm. Would you say that you've got to adopt a different mindset when you're doing a semi-stage production or concert of an opera as opposed to an entire production with costumes, etc.? And how do you manage to capture the character um, feeling uh, without feeling like a sort of complete idiot, without all the props and everything. How do you really <laughs> fully
1: encompass? That's funny. I for me, it's exactly the same because all all it is, all, all we do, whether we're doing semi-staged or fully staged or not at all staged, is tell a story. You just become a character and you tell a story. And if you're standing there holding the score, you still must tell the story just as fully, if not more fully. But I really don't feel that there should be any difference. In the performance, and I don't think we should ever rely on our props or our costumes to create the character. You create the character from within you, mm. and you have to do that, even if you're just standing still. You know, and and it seems that not much is happening. If it's all happening inside you, it will translate to the audience. At least that's how I. That's what I believe.
0: Absolutely, I, I completely agree. Mm. Actually, and and having mm. done or played uh, in the orchestra of many semi staged mm. or concert performances of operas and oratorios I certainly feel that there's just uh, the same amount of of inclusion with the audience and Mm. engagement and you really do feel the characters almost more so because there are actually less distractions going on
1: totally totally it can be very very intense in a really wonderful way because because of its simplicity and honesty and I, I often find that a real gift that you know that you do these much simpler performances and you can really just tell something much more honest and and simple which is probably more realistic anyway you know
0: mm. so last year you won the most incredible award at Cardiff Singer of the World which was the Dame mm. Joan Sutherland Audience Prize firstly huge mm. congratulations <laughs> Thank you. I adored watching you on television absolutely smashing it every single night it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible competition and process to have been a part of what was the competition Mm. like and how did you start preparing for such a huge undertaking that there must have been a huge amount of repertoire to cover not to mention the memorizing and obviously wardrobe choices to pack too (laughs) yeah it was a
1: huge experience and with a very big build-up because actually it was sort of a year and a half before that we were actually um, you know, auditioning in London and there were lots of rounds of auditions. There was a sort of CD round and then a, another live round and then another live round and I think even one more after that and then it was only at that point that you found out if you were going to actually do the, the bit on the telly. Um, and it was really wonderful and really terrifying. <laughs> it was kind of equally... Um, thrilling and and awful (laughs) because because it's just such a lot of pressure that you put on yourself and yet it's also the most incredible opportunity and I feel so lucky I got the chance to do it Um, but I also feel like I don't think I want to put myself through anything like that ever again. Um, the costume thing was was brilliant because I have these amazing friends from Opera North who who um, designed and made my outfit. So they were very special to me and very personal, and um, and made me feel amazing because they also sort of represented my character mm. a bit, and it wasn't something just off the off the shelf. And um, so the whole thing felt very special I invested a lot in it as did my friends and family which was very special for me Um, and we were looked after beautifully by the team there Um, I'm so glad I did it and I'm so glad I pushed myself to to learn all that music to sort of get really really well prepared really far in advance so there was never going to be any anxiety about memory Mm. there might be anxiety about you know being very nervous of course which I was just utterly terrified but I also after the first couple of minutes just thought on stage this is just amazing this is a total dream because when I was a little girl I used to watch this program and and think wow these people are incredible and they seemed so advanced and then it was so weird to be standing there myself thinking I think there must be some sort of mistake but I'm here now so I may as well just keep (laughs) on singing
0: (laughs) definitely no mistake (laughs)
1: No, it was lovely. I feel very, very fortunate to have been involved in it, I really do. And anyone who, who is thinking about auditioning, just go for it, because it's really a, a life-changing and career-changing thing to be involved in. But also you'll meet some very special people, and I, I really did, and I've become good friends with some of the other competitors, and the organisers, and and just an experience that I will never forget.
0: That's so wonderful. <laughs> One of my favourite works, which he performed in the competition all of which can be found on Katie's brilliant YouTube channel, by the way, is Mozart's Non so più cosa son from The Marriage of Figaro. What a brilliant choice and such a tough opening, too, especially after no restative beforehand. Why did this make the cut for you for one of your competition pieces?
1: Well, interestingly... Um, one of the one of the things I realized um, was that I was of course going to be very nervous and so starting with anything that was sort of still or very exposed um, would be a really bad idea so I thought if I just start with something that is fast that is straight in there no no time to think about anything maybe it will just ease me in you know and I, and, and I'll just sort of go right here we go and actually it felt like a good thing because I was so nervous and he's such a nervy cat Character, overexcited character. It sort of felt like it fit quite well, mm. and it just got us all going, and then we could calm down for the rest of the repertoire and sort of take a breath and go right. Okay, here we are. Um, and I've always loved Carabino. He's such a brilliant character. He's so um, spunky <laughs> and and excitable and and honest in that very beautiful, youthful way where you just have your heart on your sleeve and 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 you don't quite understand how the world works but you're trying to figure it all out and uh, and i've always found that a very kind of appealing thing you know i've always found him a very appealing character to play
0: definitely and going back to your wardrobe choices you were actually wearing mm. a, an amazing outfit for that which was a sort of jumpsuit but with a dress attached on top which was obviously the the male playing the female you know in the in the opera which worked beautifully
1: exactly i just wanted to to do to wear something that would work whichever, with whichever character I was playing and obviously there you have to do three or four or sometimes even five arias in that round so I thought well I need to be a woman and a man mm. and and I, it, it felt like the right thing to, to wear a costume that could be either or
0: both. Well it looked absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. This is an extract from Katie's live performance of Mozart's Non so più cosa son from the Cardiff Singer of the World competition.
2: Non so più cosa cosa faccio, per Soda, when you non ti a Non and you do have a bit of a bit a Di colui ogni giorno mi fa
0: me that you're a lover of and specialist in baroque music Mm. for our listeners what would you say the differences are in performing baroque music as opposed to classical or romantic either in the roles that you play or in the actual genres of the period you're suddenly stepping away from opera and moving into oratorios and passions Mm. and you've got ornamentation to think about and more than ever it's sort of important that you put your own stamp on the music to make it original
1: mm, that's really interesting I I of course there are lots of technical things such as ornamentation that you do need to know about if you're going to be whatever music you're performing you need to know uh, or at least an attempt to to learn about the stylistic things from that genre but as I was saying earlier I feel like Everything must be character and story led so actually for me I don't really approach the music any differently apart mm-hmm. from being aware that you know that you need to do certain ornamentation um, and, and other kind of um, decoration um, but I, I think really again it's just it's just character and story that must lead whatever we're doing uh, and, and so I, I don't think I approach it differently to
0: be honest. One live recording of yours from the Cardiff Singer of the World, which I absolutely adore, is from Handel's 1744 Oratorio, Hercules, and is called Where Shall I Fly? What a crazy number. It's really the, the highlight of the entire work, and it has every sort of emotion in it, and contains so many changes in tempi and mood. It's this constant juxtaposition between restative and aria, which is so sort of unsettling. Mm, yeah.
1: It's a it's a it's a completely crazy piece. So in the in the story at this point, Dejanira is the the character that I'm playing. She's she's She feels basically that her partner doesn't love her enough anymore. So she goes to um, I think he's called Nessus and asks for somehow some help to, to some sort of magical help to make her partner love her again. And uh, and he gives her a cloak which she then puts on to her partner and of course this cloak then kills him she thinks it's going to to increase his love for her once more like when they first met but actually it's a it's a death cloak and she by being greedy and demanding more from him has actually killed him and so she goes mad and she feels like she's you know covered in in his blood and and it's all her fault and she's she has asked too much and that has killed the man that she loves so she she really is out of control her moods are all over the place and that explains why it goes from recit into aria and then it's fast and slow and it's all over the place and she sees these 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 demons these furies are kind of appearing to sort of torment and haunt her and she she feels she can't get away from it so she's really asking for death herself at that point it feels like that is the only way she can escape from the guilt that she now feels
0: it's absolutely incredible having listened to it and by god you nailed it i have to say absolutely (laughs) amazing well here is katie's live performance recording of Handel's where shall i fly from hercules
2: where shall i fly where hide this guilty head the shades. Let me be mad. Shame me if you this, to your iron beds and lash my guilty ghost with waves of scorpions Their vapor breast, who stinks the skies. See, see the snakey whips they bear. What yearnings are at my tortured ear, my tortured ear. See, see that the red redfall is just a rising!
0: sing a lot of opera as we've mentioned but I know having worked with you doing so that you also love choral singing and we've performed together several times with the English Baroque soloists and Monteverdi choir. For those of our listeners who don't know Would you be able to explain what the differences are between being a soloist in an opera and being part of a chorus and then stepping out to perform solos as part of the choir and the sort of challenges that that poses? Mm.
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. There there are are various sort of technical things that one thinks about because you, you do want to make sure if you're singing in an ensemble that you're really thinking about blending with the other singers, trying to make a sound that is not standing out from anybody else but is also contributing something significant to the colour and so you're you're adding your character to it but without going hi over here everyone listen to me but then of course when you you do you step out of the choir and then you you change into soloist mode you do want to show a bit more of your full character and your full sound and that can be quite difficult because you're you're having to control your sound in when you're in the ensemble and then you're having to somehow unleash it all when you're singing um, solo if that's what you choose to do um, but again I, I really do think that that all performances have to be led by the storytelling so again you're either you're either telling the story in a group in the ensemble and you're all telling a sort of group story and you've got one, one opinion that you all mm-hmm. share or you're stepping out from that group and then you're telling your individual personal um unique story um but but it's still ultimately the same kind of uh, impetus which is just to communicate your feelings to the audience either alone or with other people i think
0: yes and i think you have to really be quite a sort of chameleon to be able to step out show your colors and then get back into the ensemble i think in terms of actually uh, telling your own, uh, being part of the same story, but actually telling your own unique st- uh, stance, is really sort of demonstrated quite well in *Barks*, Matthew Passion totally. or the John Passion, where these characters are coming out and saying, no, I disagree. Yes, absolutely right, yeah. But then stepping back and then having to sort of agree with everybody yeah. when they're Yes, totally. When you sing the chorales. Yeah,
1: that's right. And I think that's something really interesting in that sort of changing character um, or or, or different facets of your character maybe are sort of appearing at different times. And it's kind of a great challenge for your brain as well as for your voice, I think.
0: Absolutely. Mm. You've done so many incredible concerts over the last few years. And I know for me the success of a concert is dependent on so many factors such as location, tiredness levels, feeling well... How the audience responds, the concert hall, the weather—I mean, it's countless. But which are the few that have jumped out at you for being unique in some way?
1: Well, the the one concert that's really stuck in my mind at the moment is actually the last concert I did before lockdown, which was Mm. um, part of the Handel Festival, Uh, and we were in the Wigmore Hall, and Adrian Butterfield was was leading us and we did um, Handel's Parnaso in Festa and I played um, Mm -hmm. Apollo and it was just one of those experiences that will stay with me forever because everything somehow worked in the way that it it does and nobody can explain why Uh, you know exactly what I mean somehow there's just the Mm -hmm. chemistry is right in the room somehow everybody's in the right mood or and, and they're not things that you can predict. It's not always to do with how prepared you are, how well you slept, any of those things. Sometimes all of those things can be kind of wrong and it still just works. And I can't explain what happened, but it felt like the most intensely beautiful and special experience. And I, I felt very, very lucky to be there because we also all knew on stage and in the audience that the Wigmore Hall was about to close down as was everything else. So it mm-hmm. felt like there was this incredible energy um, from the audience, this sort of hunger to sort of like eat up as much music as you can before you're then going to be starved of live music. And that's how it felt um, to perform and to sort of feel the audience's energy. It was, it was sort of desperate to, to soak it all up before we knew we wouldn't get it for a long time. And I felt very, very lucky to be... To be one of the last concerts that happened there um and um and I, i'll never forget it actually it was a very very special evening
0: yes and i think with the wigmore hall i mean it's just such a unique space and having performed there many times as you have the the feeling when you're on stage uh, you're so close to the audience you can really feel their energy but there, there's also a sort of barrier because the way they do the lighting there where you you sort of feel very quite enclosed and safe on the stage. But there is this exchange of energy, which is so incredible, which is probably something that you don't often get at in opera houses, with the audience so far away and the very bright lights, and them in constant darkness. What's that like in in comparison to singing in a concert hall? Yeah,
1: it can be quite strange. It can feel quite isolating, to be honest, because you, you look out at a big black void. And of course, there are lots of people there, but often you can't see any anything. I think that's why, um, going back to one of your earlier questions, why I enjoyed so much that very intimate performance in the Arcola Theatre of Vertaire, because we really could communicate with people very directly. And I looked right into people's eyes and and for me, music is all about communication. It, that there, there isn't any music if we don't have the audience. You know, it, it can't just be about us having a nice time on stage. It's got to be about this exchange of ideas and this kind of passion for what is happening. And there's something sort of happening that is somehow bigger than all of us, but it needs all of us, audience and performers, to actually ignite. Um, and that's why I've, I, I, I think also this the lockdown performances are brilliant, but they're very hard because you need the energy from the audience too. And, you know, it's all lovely making performances for ourselves that we hope people will watch, but it's a very different feeling not having the audience there in the room with you. I, I'm sure you, you've found that yourself making recordings during this time. Yes,
0: I mean, I for me, the audience is an essential part of a performance. Of course. The energy mm. and... For me, I, I think as much as I adore playing in places like Carnegie Hall or the Lincoln Center, the Albert Hall, for me, actually, the intimate concerts are more special, where you could really almost feel the person on the front row breathing on you, and you can see their foot twitching in time with the music. And that also pl- poses challenges that it's also very distracting. But I, it's a, a very, very unique thing to be able to exchange this energy with with often people that you've never met or don't know and that you have this chemistry. Mm. uh, It's very, very special. Mm, Absolutely. You've worked over the years with so many brilliant, eminent orchestras and ensembles such as the English Baroque soloists, the Royal Philharmonic and the Britain Symphonia. Obviously each ensemble has their own sound and focuses on different repertoire this might be an impossible question, but who would you say your favourite group is to work with? Oh, I don't know the
1: answer to that. Um, I don't have one favourite group, but I I love the energy of the um, Opera North Orchestra. Um, mm-hmm. They they have the most incredible feeling and they play so brilliantly um, and they have this challenge of playing under so many different conductors and they always manage to make an amazing sound and they're such lovely, lovely colleagues but actually over the last sort of 10 years or something, the two people I've most enjoyed working with are Lawrence Cummings and Peter Whelan mm-hmm. and whoever they're in charge of. They just make magic happen and it feels so thrilling to work with both of those two brilliant, brilliant men. And and I just always feel like the stage is going to sort of catch fire or something when they're in charge mm. and, and it, it's totally electrifying and, and makes me think, god we're the luckiest people in the world you know in those moments you think it doesn't really get any better than this
0: you're absolutely right i just mm-hmm. right before lockdown one of my last concerts actually was with lawrence cummings right. and you're right he has this way of just making everything electrifying
2: mm.
0: and also funnily enough even when the music is maybe not of our choosing a promoter might have chosen a program he mm. still manages to just make it incredible we we went to Me- uh, not mexico we went to south america with the Academy of Ancient Music a couple of years ago in Colombia and it was one of those sort of gruelling trips where you arrive the day before you have a rehearsal concert and we had the altitude and everything like that and honestly Lawrence just managed to scoop us all together we were all feeling absolutely dreadful but we yeah. thought right we're, we're on this stage we've got to make this work the audience is here very very excited the television was there and we're all thinking oh my god i can't do this yeah <laughs> and he had this way of just putting us at ease and, and suddenly we thought oh we're back in the wigmore hall and it's absolutely fine um and I, I think also for both of us having worked with him at the royal academy so often it's that just wonderful feeling of of not only safety, but excitement too. He's Totally. He's, he's wonderful.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: As well as huge stage and opera performances, I know that you perform every year at the Oxford Leader Festival. And I absolutely love your recording of Schumann's Auster, Oeslichen Rosen with Schulte Kainoch. What a beautiful work. Absolutely incredible. Yes.
1: it's gorgeous. It's a very kind of tender loving gentle message of love basically sort of sent across the breeze and it's it's kind of also desperately sad because the 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 character i I play in that song is sort of saying well if if only i knew that you would think of me for just a second um, then, then my life would be worth living. But I think it's it's essentially a a sort of melancholy song of of unrequited love, just exceptionally beautiful and kind of heartbreaking in its simplicity. I think
0: absolutely, and you capture it so beautifully with the pianist. I I was looking at the translation the other day, and I think that the the title means "From Eastern's Roses." Mm, exactly. And. For, for those of you who don't know it says I send a greeting like the scent of roses I send it to a rose-like face I send a greeting like springs caressing I send it to eyes that brim with springs light so it's it's very sensuous the whole thing and oh it's rather sad to think that it's unrequited love
1: I well, that's the impression I get from it from the last couple of lines mm-hmm. but but, um, but no less beautiful because of that perhaps even more beautiful
0: I agree <laughs> you can find Katie's recording of Schumann's leader Alster Oerslich and Rosa on the Spotify playlist for today's episode of the Classical Corner so sticking to duo work another of your recorded works which I absolutely love and is so striking is Benjamin Britten's Funeral Blues you performed this also in the Cardiff competition Yeah. For me the thing that's so unique about this work is the combination of the blues baseline with the text mm. overlaid and it's almost mm. like a spoken song. Yes. I, I suppose we know and I know this originally as a poem rather yep. than it being set to music.
1: Yes, absolutely it's this amazing Auden poem which also was made famous in um, four weddings and yes. Fuma, I think wasn't it stop all the clocks yeah and um, it's it's incredible it, I, I it's interesting because people have very different opinions about whether or not it's a kind of serious poem mm. or it was meant in a serious way but I find it completely heartbreaking and totally amazing and I've always loved this song and it has as you say the most fantastic piano part which in the recording you're talking about is is my brilliant duo partner William van who just is the most astonishing pianist and we've worked together now for for a long time so we have a very special relationship and it's it's a brilliant piece which kind of joins together lots of things that I really love because I love cabaret I love jazz and I love classical music and and opera and it somehow joins them all together in this one very short very intense song and as you say there is quite a lot of of, of music in there that feels a bit like speech, mm. um, because it's sort of written on very simply. The vocal line is yeah. very very simple, just kind of written on one note for, for many notes in a row, just the same, and and then it sort of creeps up and creeps up and creeps up, and then it kind of explodes at the end. But it is it is um, it's incredibly striking. I want to perform it basically all the time, <laughs> and often <laughs> I, often Will's like you know we did this in the last recital. Maybe you should choose something else. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it
0: as an encore. Like, no, no, Katie, we did it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing. And I think the way that you, you sing it, that it's sort of the, the way you use the words, onomatopoeia, you really hear the impact of the words. And I think that, for me, takes it back to the original poem. And you capture the essence of, sort of devastation so brilliantly. And then you swing into this full-blown blues singer yeah. <laughs> and cabaret. And then... yes. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite
1: a thing, isn't it? You, you somehow have to, to sort of use all of, the, all of the tools in your box, basically all at once, and, and I love that. I love that that can all happen in two and a half minutes. You think, God, what an amazing piece.
0: Exactly. Well, I can see that you want to sing it in every single recital. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you can all hear, uh, this is an extract of Katie's performance with William Van on the piano of Britain's Funeral Blues.
2: Top all the clocks cut off the telephone prevent the dog from barking Come, let airplanes circle, now we move scribbling on the sky the message, he is dead.
0: katie obviously this is such a rotten time for all of us musicians when we're meant to be performing in incredible concert halls all around the world but how are you spending your time now that you're not on tour and performing i know that you've started a really wonderful and very unique project
1: (laughs) yes well at the beginning of lockdown my husband Tom and I. Tom is also a singer, and so is, is also currently un, unemployed, like all the rest of us. Um, we decided we'd have to find a way to be creative and keep making something, or we were just going to go mad. And um, and our gorgeous little niece Rosie is very into exercise. She's three, and um, and she. We went to visit them and sort of stood across the across the other side of the road and just said hello, and she she did some funny little exercises that she'd been doing in a video that morning or something. And, and we thought, okay, well we'll make an exercise video just for her. Um, and uh, and sort of tell a story through it and try to 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 bring her in like that Um, because it was also a way to communicate with her when we couldn't see her we could send her this video of of me doing the exercises and Tom adding all the music and all the sound effects and things and she could sort of see us on the telly Um, and she liked it so much that um, that we then thought well maybe we could make these exercise stories for other children so we sort of started up a YouTube channel and we've been making them as as often as we can really ever since. It's been a bit um, hectic recently because we've just moved house but uh, during lockdown we were doing one or two a week and just releasing as many as we had time to make um, and they're essentially just really short exercise videos but the movement is always connected to a story um so the children somehow don't realize they're exercising perhaps because they're pretending to be um for instance astronauts training to go up into space and they're doing their exercise their fitness training and then they go up into space and then they come back down and we try to make it feel like a magical experience whilst also getting getting a bit of exercise because of course lots of children were for ages stuck indoors not getting the exercise they needed and their parents just losing their marbles with children running around all over the place so we thought it might help the children and the parents and also to be honest help us a bit because it gave us something amazing to do that felt very positive and creative
0: absolutely and i think the way that you've done it with bringing theatrics and music into the videos is just absolutely incredible it's all-encompassing and I know from my nieces and nephews who've who've loved watching them they are incredibly engaging and and magical and also for us I think we chatted before on the phone about really struggling with not performing and not having a creative outlet we hold so much in us emotionally usually and often the stage is is a way to to be able to pour our emotions into the music and into the audience and, and, and exchange energy with our colleagues through music. And it's been very difficult to not do that.
1: Absolutely. that's That was a huge part of why we created this, this little company, which is called Tales with a Twist.
0: And you can find Tales with a Twist on Instagram and YouTube, so I thoroughly recommend tuning into that. One of the pieces that you love to listen to is a favourite of mine too, and it's Ella Fitzgerald's Let's Do It. Ella is one of my favourite performers of all time, and I think her recording of this work with the London Symphony Orchestra is just stunning. Why is this so special for you?
1: Uh, I've always loved Ella Fitzgerald, and she has the most distinctive voice. You just immediately know it's her. And she always had this amazing, light-hearted good humor when she performed as well and and i just think that there's not really been any anything quite as magical since she was incredibly instinctive as a performer amazing musician and as i say very A very distinctive sound she'll just live in music forever you know and 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 that's so magical that people can die and yet just just still be with us forever because of such a
0: special gift absolutely and i think you know as soon as i hear her voice it's like sinking into this perfectly warm bath that's as soon as i i hear her and and the orchestration of that disc is so perfect and for those of you who don't know the song, it relates to different nationalities and creatures and basically why they fall in love and the, te- the text is done so well with the orchestration. There's this bit with electric eels and shocks and it's, it's hilarious.
1: It's so good. It's so brilliantly that the story is so brilliantly told in that arrangement, and and it's so, the words are just so fantastic. It was a great opportunity for whoever did the arrangement. I can't remember who it was now, but but it was a great opportunity for them to really you know make the most of all these funny words. And it's 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 a fantastic song anyway. Cole Porter was just a genius, um, but um, but I think yeah, I think Ella just had it all. Basically. She did.
0: She took it to the next level. I think. Another of your Desert Island discs is Judy Garland's The Man That Got Away. Why do you love this song so much?
1: Ah, oh, well Judy Garland was basically my inspiration from when I was a child all the way through to now and I will just love her forever. She was the most kind of brave and incredible performer and she started so young of course and she had such a tragic and difficult life and alcohol, alcoholism and and just a very, very difficult time. Probably, I assume, because the fame at that young age doesn't actually do you any good. And she had this incredible talent, which was probably slightly abused by the people that wanted to make money from her. Uh, uh, and and I, I always felt somehow this huge love for her as an artist, because even through all of this awfulness... She always performed so fully and and again this very distinctive voice, um, iconic sounding voice, really. Um, and and this song comes from a show which is called A Star Is Born, and it's the scene in which she sings it is just absolutely amazing. If you can watch the film, this scene is so so special and memorable, and um and I've always found it sort of tragic and and beautiful and I, I've always felt somehow connected with this song more than any other that she ever sang I can't quite explain why it's just resonated with me my mum used to sing it around the house and occasionally in in concerts that she, local concerts that she would do when she was a young woman so perhaps somehow it it got into my brain like that and and then I've always sung it in um you know as an encore or whatever in in in, in recitals and things if it seems appropriate because I i just think it's it's really remarkable and and if ever i can pay tribute to to judy garland i'll i'll take my opportunity to do that
0: yes absolutely she (laughs) she is remarkable Mm. all of the recordings which we have discussed can be found on the spotify playlist for today's episode of the classical corner Well, Katie, it has been an utter joy and delight to have you in The Classical Corner today. What a pleasure to share so many musical tales with you and to hear you sing so beautifully too. Thank you. And I hope that we'll be performing together once again on the concert platform very soon.
1: Oh, I can't wait. Thanks so much. It's been lovely to talk to you.
0: Thank you all so much for joining me for another episode of The Classical Corner. I hope you'll tune in next time when we shall continue to explore some more glorious music together. In the meantime, I wish you all a wonderful week. Goodbye.